Hey, welcome to the Radio Podcast. Um, I'm your co-host Richard Mulholland and with me as always is Ross Drakes. Hey Ross. Hello, how's it going? Going well, uh, going super well, thank you. This is a podcast for entrepreneurs, by entrepreneurs, discussing entrepreneur stories, trying to tell you things that people are doing in their business yesterday uh, that you can listen to today and hopefully put in place in your business tomorrow. And it's powered, as always, by EO, the Entrepreneurial Organization. <laughs> can you believe I didn't forget the name of the organization? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, it's not the memory palace, so, so we don't pr- pretend to remember everything. Right, but I mean, it's so bizarre. I was about to say Entrepreneurs Network. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> One of, one of the things we wanted to start, kick off this, this episode with is talking about, you know, sort of strategy. It's that time of year when everybody is super stressed out about all the extra time they're having to spend in strategy sessions and going away with the Exco sort of planning the year. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to have a little bit of a discussion around, around that. I know you have a very strong opinion on how people should run their strategy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's a great topic. It's very relevant to something we all, uh, you know, it really is one of those things that I think keep entrepreneurs up at night at certain points. You know, is our strategy right? Are we on the right, are we on the right path? Yeah, I mean, I know one of the things we focus on, um, you know, when, when we're helping our clients set strategies is, is creating something that's kind of living and practical. Um, I think most strategy documents are, are these wonderful plans that are beautifully crafted but then people don't know how to actually act on them in their day-to-day job so generally people go away they set these amazing strategies they document them all they put them into these beautiful powerpoints and then everybody goes back to work on monday and just resumes work um, like they did the week before so to understand why that happens you almost have to think about um you know why what, what, what is the history of strategy and what was strategy trying to solve? Uh, one of the things for me is, is interesting. Strategy is not a business tool. I mean, the, the father of strategy, if you go into Google right now and Google, you know, who is the father of strategy? It's not Michael Porter. It's Hannibal. You know, strategy was something that the business world borrowed from the military world. And it was people like Michael Porter in the 70s who looked back at businesses of the 60s and 50s. And they kind of said, well, what are these businesses doing that is working for them? And they realized that the better businesses, the ones that were really doing well, were the ones that planned far in advance. They weren't just reactive to the world around them. They were proactive and that they planned these long-term strategies and they had real long-term focus, you know, five-year, 10-year plans. The problem is that, you know, that model as seen in the 1970s, looking at successful businesses in the 60s made sense for that world. You know, because if you were a CEO of a company in 1960, you had a very, very, very good chance that the world in 1965 was going to look quite a lot like the world in 1960. But now we live in a world today where I don't think a single person listening to this podcast could safely say that they know what technology will disrupt their business five years from now. And yet we still go away planning these five-year strategies, these five-year plans. And I think it's flawed. I think that the tool was created, the strategic tool was borrowed from military for a different time. I think strategy is a long roadmap. And even if you as a business leader are agile enough to realize, hey, we can chop and change, your staff don't understand why you're doing it. 
So if you launch a big strategy for a long period of time, and then you come and you say, hey, but this you know, technology is just launched, our strategy is no longer relevant. Even if you're the agile leader that's willing to do that, and many leaders aren't, your staff are still like, whoa, wait a minute, what's happening? Is the sky falling down? Is our strategy changing? Should, should we be worried? Should we be looking for a new job? So giving a long-term plan that you expect to change actually doesn't make as much sense as it used to. You don't think there's, there's an element of, uh, I mean, I, I totally buy the idea of, of not, um, you know, planning for five years or for 10 years, but is there, is there not value in looking and saying, what kind of organization do we want to be in 10 years time? Where do we see the kind of industry and the trends heading? And this is our kind of our goal that we are heading towards. Um, so you're kind of looking into the future and saying, this is kind of the organization we want to become. And then you can look at the next six months or 12 months and be like, what are the three or four things that we have to do today that will head us down the path towards that organization of 10, 10 years time? So you're kind of focusing on two or three or you know four small, not small, but key kind of projects that you have to get done in order to move your organization from one place to another over a period of time. So I think 10 years is probably too long. I think it's worthwhile having, like for talk to our new business, I have a big kind of that, you know, that BHAG, big hairy audacious goal. We have an idea of what we want to do. And we've got an idea currently of how we kind of think that's going to look. You know, we want to change the world's relationship with presentation. And so we have ways that we think that could manifest 10, 15 years from now. But actually, our victory condition, our strategic destination is a little bit shorter term than that. We actually buy into Howard Mann's 36-month principle. So Howard Mann says that, you know, big listed companies, uh, sorry, 36-month-a-year business, he says they work in a 12-month year. And actually, it's often not long enough to make meaningful things unfold. And the reason they do that is that they are answerable to a group of shareholders that want to make sure that when the financial numbers get submitted every year, that um, they were, um, um, you know, a significant improvement on last year. However, if you're planning on owning your business for a significant period of time and you're not a listed company, you can actually choose to slow things down in order to create more meaningful scale in your business. And he says, what happens if you took your business and you said, well, let's call it a 36-month year. So we're going to start a business from now, uh, or we're going to start logging today, and 36 months from now, that's going to be the end of this business year. And he says, when you give yourself that time horizon, you're able to now turn around and say, well, we want to spend the first third, the first 12 months, you know, we want to keep on organically growing our business. But we actually want to lay a new foundation for growth. We know where we want to be at the end of year three or the end of year one at the 36 months. But we want to put a meaningful, um, uh, uh, you know, foundational 12 months in getting this right. This doesn't work if you're constantly saying, well, by the end of this year, we've got to have increased turnover by 20%. So what's happening is you're actually accelerating your business or you're actually slowing down your company by, by speeding it up. You're accelerating in the short term, uh, which is stopping you from building a foundational change in your business. So for me, I think what you need is not so much a strategy and what you what you described is not a strategy, it's a goal. I think what you need is to be very, very intentional about your strategic destination. What is the strategic destination of my business? So even 36 months or even you know in the shorter time horizon, in the end of this year, if this business has not achieved X, 
this business has failed. That victory condition, that strategic destination is more important than a strategy. Because now when you go to your staff, you don't tell your staff, here's how, what I want us to do. You tell your staff, this is where I need us to be. And this is why. Once they agree on the strategic destination of your business and the time frame, then you say to them, what can you do in your department or in your personal capacity to make sure this happens at a macro level? And then we break those down into the steps that you referred to earlier, the goal jump, uh, another of Howard's principles. You know, if we want to be there in 36 months, where do we have to be in 24 months? Where do we have to be in six months? Where do we have to be in three months? And where do we have to be in 30 days? Then we work back from that. And for me, the yardstick every time is saying, if anybody who comes to you with any innovative idea and comes to you and says, um, hey, I think we should do this, you then say to them, how will this help us achieve our victory condition of X? And if they can describe to you how that happens, it doesn't matter how crazy it is, you'll do it. If they can't, uh, you won't. I mean, I, 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 do, I do like that idea of setting kind of a, a destination. And I think there's also something powerful in, you know, setting goals for each person and how they activate the strategy because they then don't have to keep in mind the full strategy. They don't have to understand all the working pieces. They just need to know kind of what the, the destination is and what I'm doing, you know, what I have to do tomorrow and the week after and in one month's time and, etc in order to kind of do that and if you kind of break it down well then everyone is obviously pulling in the same direction and you'll probably get much further um, than you can and that's the key thing there when you said about everyone moving uh, pulling in the same direction currently what happens is your people are confusing moving forwards with moving towards so if they did a body of work yesterday and they do another body of work tomorrow they can feel like they've made progress but actually they may not be moving towards the strategic goal you have as a business. And the reason they don't know that is because they don't know where the finish line is, where the perceived victory condition is. You know, I, I kind of, we, we, we birthed this idea out of my, my passion for board games. And it came from the principle, the understanding that if I played games the way I ran my business, I would never win. Because in businesses, in board games, you play to win. But in businesses, we're often playing to not lose. And we needed to be more intentional about what victory looks like. And I realized that why games are so easy to, to work that way is you have an end game condition. You have something very specific that you're working towards that signifies the end of the game. And I thought, what if we could create fictitious end states for business? Because the problem with our companies is they're supposed to stay forever, but they shouldn't. Yeah, they're always on. So what have we said? Well, this particular iteration of the game is going to be based on, can we, for example, in Missing Link's case, uh, we want to give ourselves a head start. Uh, so what we want to do is our victory condition is about giving ourselves a head start by building a better engine. And that means we want 25% of Missing Link's employee, uh, sorry, of customers to be on a 12-month retainer. So 25% of our customers to move from being project customers to retainer customers, or 25% of our earnings to come from retained earnings rather than project earnings. Now that is a significant change in our business. Now nowhere in there does it say that we have to make this much money. It just means, so we might make the exact same amount of money next year, but we've turned 25% of it into retained earnings. 
So everything that our staff are now doing is trying to play the game of how do we build a business? What do we do that can become a return to earning business? How can we have conversations with our clients around that? Do our current products make sense in that mix? So all of a sudden, doing the job you were doing yesterday and selling the product you sold yesterday, even though we still offer it, may not make sense when you go see a customer tomorrow. And that excites me because now all of our people are galvanized around this idea of what victory looks like. And we now have 30 people playing a game that has an end state and some rules of engagement where they all feel that they get a chance to roll the dice. And do you find, I mean, so, so one of the challenges I see playing out here is that, um, you know, if certain people have been like playing a game a certain way forever, are they able to adapt when you change the fundamentals of what it is that, you know, you're doing? So like you're talking, you're moving from um, project-based work to retainer-based work and the skill set you need to keep a project-based client happy and a retainer-based client happy are slightly different because your projects are, they start, they're generally quite intense, they end, the client leaves with a smile on their face, Whereas a monthly role, like rolling kind of thing, is something where you almost need to be demonstrating value all the time. And it's actually more of a relationship build. And, you know, how are we building a relationship with these people? How are we understanding them better? How are we delivering a better kind of product as opposed to a, a kind of project-based thing? So have you seen that your people naturally take to that? Or have you had to look at kind of, finding a different skill set or building a different team in order to kind of change that because um, you know that that's something i've seen but my belief is that we will certainly have to change it some people will make the transition you know that's jim collins if you have the right people on the bus they will go wherever the bus is going and i believe we've done a really good job missing link is uh, is not a great business but it's a phenomenal company uh, you know, it's and it could be a good business, but we so we've got good people and a good culture and people who who strive to grow. However, so there's some people who won't make it, but those people are the people we should have got rid of ages ago. But the problem is we couldn't because we're always doing their job okay, and you know, well, we've we've let our satisfaction get in the way of our success. Now that now there's no place left to hide. Because now your yardstick isn't how well you could do the job that got us to be the company we were, but rather how well you can do your job that can get us to be the company that we need to be. And if that does mean that there are certain casualties, it's not a bad thing. It's not like our staff will leave without you know any hopes of ever getting another job. It's just they will have to go to a company that shares the same uh, sentiments as they do. And it's okay that it's not for us. You know, We never promised people... Uh, you know, if, if you want to stay with us for the rest of your life, we'd love it uh, if you're willing to buy into the same visions and ideas that we have. Uh, but, you know, uh, part of that vision, though, is a company that's willing to challenge its own status quo. That's what you're buying when you kind of join us. So I feel that most of our people will want to change. Some of them may or may not be able to. And that's OK then, too. But is it not also, I suppose, I mean, it's we, we're deviating from the topic here, but, you know, as businesses are always on, I often have conversations with people and they're sad that people have left them. Um, and I think it is a, a kind of a different thing because the understanding, well, my understanding of it is that this thing's not forever. And people join you for a piece of the journey. It might be a long piece. It might be a short piece. But it's totally okay to to move on to to other things because, you know, not 
not everyone is cut out to stay in one place forever. And I think it's important to, to send people out when they leave your business that they're a better version of themselves than what they were when they arrived. And then it's totally okay that they, they go out into the world and do something else. Uh, I've had Missing Link 22 years and 19 ex-staff members run their own companies. Like that wouldn't have happened if they were still at our business. We used to yes. call it the finishing school. You know, like we're a place where you you kind of come and you grow up and you learn a bunch of skills that you can take out and run your own business. In fact, yes. there's certain people in your business you want to stay around for a long period of time because they bring stability. But there's a whole other set of business of people that as sad as you are to see them go, um, actually is really, really important to keep that movement in your organization, to make space for new thinking. And again, some companies don't have that problem because they want to infinitely grow in size. But a company like ours, we, we like the size we are. We'd rather have multiple businesses of similar sizes rather than have, you know, one big monster uh, agency. 350 staff. You know, there's, there's no appeal for, for me there. So that does require making some space for new thinking. So I'm okay if people leave. And you know what? Uh, those people who leave that we have a good relationship with, uh, Don and I meet them for lunch. Like, it's okay. Yes. We didn't lose the friend. Does it also not often happen that those people end up, sometimes end up as clients in other organizations, um, kind of spreading your gospel further and wider? To some degree, but more often than not, in our case, they become competitors, but that's completely okay as well. Like we help them, you know, we've got a, a system where if a staff member comes up with a business idea, uh, we give them six months of Fridays off so that they can launch that business idea. And all they have to do is have a business plan that they think can work. We don't even have to agree with it. At the end of the six months, they can either leave or, you know, full-time where they must come back to work. And, um, you know, that seeded a bunch of businesses that are competitors to us. And we know that going in, but it's okay. There's, you know, more than enough work to go around. But that depends on you know, what you want from, from yourself as an entrepreneur. But yeah, this may be a deviation, but yeah. So, so how would you, I mean, if you were to define what strategy is, like how would you, how would you define it and, and what would you kind of uh, tips would you give to somebody who's sitting at this time of year thinking about setting up their strategy for the company? I would simply say that in the past, we thought about what we had to do. We now, now must transition into where we need to be. And why that's so important is it means that no matter where the world changes, no matter what technology creates, all you have to do is course correct. Right? If you have a strategy, you're saying this is what we will do. You need to have a, a hold firm opinions weekly. You know, Nick Heron Amber said that to me once. You need to be able to have these great ideas. So you know where you want to be in your 36 months or in your 12 months. Uh, by the end of this year, we must be here. And never worry. Don't spend nearly as much time trying to think about how you're going to get there. Let your people do that. Just make sure that you've socialized the idea of what success looks like and then set out to achieve that with everything and constantly measure how far your business is moving towards that success criteria. Yeah, I think this was, as a leader, it's also important to let people break it down and, and let them kind of perform their tasks. But your job is to sort of keep everyone, you know, remind everyone of where you're heading, what that goal is, what the point of all this is. And, you know, I think that kind of, clarity of, of, of vision is, is important when you're kind of taking this sort of approach. Yeah. If you tell your people what they have to do, you're asking your people to be obedient. But if you tell your people where they need to go, you're asking them to be visionary. 
you're asking them to 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 bring in of themselves to help you get there and i think that's far more exciting to the especially the people in, in in our organization is they get far more excited about that challenge than they would if i just told them what they had to do yeah that's amazing should we should we segue into popcorn yeah sure <laughs> i i think it's interesting because uh, I think the the link here is that you know one idea is that you are responsible for for setting the vision and setting the the thing and telling people how they should do it. And another one of those um, things that you you hold on to is uh, potentially that you have to have emails. So I don't know if you want to share a bit about um, how how you can get rid of email in your life. Yeah. So I was there's an EO member that. Everybody in the organization should try and reach out to at some stage in your life. It's a guy by the name of Tim Heitman. Even though you can't. Well, yeah, even though he's made it tricky. His name is Tim Heitman. He runs a business called Double Good. It used to be called Popcorn Palace. And I've actually had him on my video show a few times, three different times. And most recently, because one of my forum buddies was heading to Chicago where he lives. And he's just such a great guy. I said, oh, Len, you need to go and you know hang out with, with Tim when you're there. So I fired off an email to Tim. And I want to just quickly jump and read to you uh, what, what I got back from him. So I sent him off a mail uh, describing uh, subject line, forum buddy in Chicago. And then I got this reply back. He said, hi, currently I'm not using email, full stop. Slack, same page. Text and WhatsApp are ways you can reach me. Typically, I check these at least once a day. Thank you. And then a link to his company URL. There was no Slack, same page, text and WhatsApp. But in no, he didn't tell you his Slack channel. He didn't tell you his WhatsApp number. And I spoke to him about this at length. And in fact, maybe we can play a bit of the audio. But um, basically, he figured out that most people who are trying to get a hold of him actually need to get a hold of somebody else in his business. And how it originally started was that he put a autoresponder, or, you know, one of these holiday vacation responders when he was away. And when he came back to work, he didn't want to immediately face all the email. So he just kept it on for a little while longer. And then he realized, huh, I'll just keep it on permanently. And then he found it even more and said, <laughs> well, I don't want to do this. And he realized that people who he needs to talk to would find a way to get to him. You know, if you mail his business and you say, I need to speak to Tim, I'm the bank manager, they'll give you Tim's number and then you can message him or phone him. That's no problem. But but most people who needed to email him actually just needed something from people in his company that people in his company uh, should be able to do. And it becomes very, very hard to scale your business if you become a bottleneck in it. So the easiest way to stop yourself from being a bottleneck in your own business is to remove yourself from the bottle. And that's what he did. So he does not provide that's phenomenal thinking. And he's got a monster business. Yes. Um, and, and it's worked for him. Yes. Now, I think it might be a bit too extreme for me. But while I was away, I had an autoresponder. And it was amazing because people take to it and it works pretty well. So now what I'm thinking of doing is um, leaving an autoresponder and say, hey, if you want to chat to me about missing link stuff, the presentation company, you know, uh, feel free to chat to, and I'll put Don's details. Or if you want to chat about TalkDraw, you can chat to Justin. Or if you want to chat about this or book me for a speaking gig, you know, chat to Taryn. And all of these things. And even uh, all I'll be saying is I'm busy planning for a speaking tour. Uh, my access to email is uh, low. 
And, um, and what will happen is most people will just say, well, let me find it a better way. Or they can wait for me to come back to it. But for the most part, people will just, you know, get sorted. And I think that's, um, you know, that's probably better because a lot of my time is spent just doing triage and stuff I don't have to do. And, and I even have it easy. I have an assistant who reads my, every bit of my email and responds to most of it. So, so that's even the little bit you are doing is too much. Um, I love the idea that you, you can kind of challenge these traditional ideas of, of how people can get a hold of you and how always on and always available you need to be in order to run your business. I think if you, if you move in that direction, you can actually make it work. And he is sort of an example of how you can do it. Um, you know, and I, I think for me, that is an interesting thought. You know, I know the, the, the current badge that I'm trying to shake off is the idea of busy. You know, some people always ask you, how are you doing? You're like, oh, I'm so busy. I've been doing so much, uh, you know, and I found myself almost auto responding like that. And I, I'm not sure if it is a badge of honor or if it's a failing on my part to delegate all the things that, you know, I, I can get somebody else to do. I'm, I'm holding on to tasks and things that I probably shouldn't have. And, and I think this is an interesting experiment to see if that can help with that. We want, when you start your business, your business isn't busy, but you are, as you progress through your company, you want that to change. Yeah. You want the company to be busy, uh, but you don't want to be busy yourself. And I, but it also depends on where you are in your life stage. You know, if you're constantly trying to grow your business and this kind of leads into maybe what we're going to discuss in the third part of, of this podcast. But if you constantly want to grow your business, well, uh, you know, then you're going to be busy for, for ages trying to do that because you're going to be working on new stuff while other people are keeping the engine running uh, yes. that you put in place already. But what I like about Tim is that uh, he, he made something appear possible. Uh, so currently we were in emails kind of like, uh, you know, just something that you've accepted as a necessary evil. And now someone has come along and said, well, you really don't need it. You know, you've, you've chosen to engage with it. You don't need to engage with it. I mean, he certainly doesn't. He's uh, been off email now for six months and he's, he says he's made him more productive, happier, less stressed, and not a single impact on his business or life negatively in any way, means or form. But um, so he's now shared a light that said, well, this is not possible. And for some people, that would be a challenge worth facing. But it does make you look at the stuff that, you know, you stare at your inbox and you think, why am I actually doing this? And so maybe <laughs> strategies for other things. Yes. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think that's a great segue. Like, tell, tell me why are you feeling sorry for yourself at the moment, Rich? <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. So I've been, you know, I left my house. I started work on the 8th of January, like most people. And when I arrived home last week, uh, I was, uh, I'd been at home the whole year. So, and for reference now, we're on uh, the 6th of March. So when I arrived home, I think it was the 2nd of March. Uh, we, I had slept five nights in my own bed, uh, you know, in the year. And the rest of it was done traveling. I'd been in like four continents and 14 countries. And, and I was doing a speaking gig for a YPO event. And afterwards, all these guys came up and handed me their cards and they said, hey, you must come and speak at our conference here and all over the world. And it was it was really cool, but it's just more time away from my family. And I started feeling sorry for myself, not because I 
uh, was getting the work. It's amazing and it's such a privilege and I need it. But it was because I realized that I couldn't say no if I wanted to. Is that right now, the prospect of the income and the networking and the things, you know, I still need to make that money. Now, we both know entrepreneurs, uh, they're in EO at the moment, that technically, if they wanted to turn off their businesses tomorrow, they would have enough wealth that would be able to keep them going and preserve their life going forward. And I was upset and feeling sorry for myself because I'm not there yet. And I reason, I believe that part of the reason that is, is I've become a horizon chaser. So I never created a victory condition for me for size and scale, for example, for my life. And I think that's problematic because we're in the constant pursuit of more, but it's not even, it's kind of a nonsensical pursuit of more. So I realized that what I want to do is I want to set a peg in, peg in the sand and say, well, and I think I'm kind of close. If I look at the house I live in and the cars we have, and you know, we, we live a relatively good life. My job is to turn around and say, am I satisfied with the life that I have built? Could I live this type of life for the rest of my life? And when the answer to that question is yes, then I should only be put in pursuit of the preservation of that. So I don't want to make money beyond my requirement to preserve that life. In fact, the second that I make that amount of money, and that's calculable, you know, there are formulas for that. I should then be turned around saying, what more interesting things can I do other than growing my business? The problem is, as it currently is, is people live in a point of view and they have, they're chasing these horizons. So when they get to a place where they have more money, they move to a bigger house and buy a more expensive car and move the kids to an even better school and go on more extravagant holidays. So now their new normal is bigger. And this becomes very, very problematic because it means that we constantly have to be on this treadmill of business growth. And I think when it comes to business growth for the sake of growth is the mindset of the cancer cell. You know, I remember speaking to friends in forum who were complaining about, you know, how little they were getting to spend with their families. Um, but of course, um, they were having, they had extremely large companies. And, um, you know, this is something that, that we've often all faced. And I think it's a, a reality that we need to say, well, you know, at what point do we actually peg that horizon and say, well, this is where we're working towards. This is our business victory condition. And then be willing to tap out and go in a different direction. Yes. So, so have you actually done that? Have you actually put down your, your number or is it something that's a journey that you're starting to, to begin now? So I read Sam Beck Bessinger's book. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Manage Your Money Like a Fucking Grown Up. And I read Unshakable by Tony Robbins. And actually, yeah, I think, I think the number for me to preserve, I'm 44 years old now, to preserve my life, I think the number worked out to like 40 million rand. Which is actually, I mean, if you put that in, in that's to preserve my life in South Africa. That wouldn't preserve this lifestyle if we had to move anywhere, anywhere other than Thailand. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, or Nicaragua or Venezuela. <laughs> you know, we could probably move to there. But um, at um, forty, at forty million rand, which is about let's say, you know, I'd be three million dollars. Uh, I could actually preserve, we have no debt at the moment, and we, I'd be able to preserve and maintain and go in the right amount of overseas trips. And then I could say, well, I want to write a book. I want to write fiction. Or I want to design a board game. Or I want to do something else. I want to have a meaningful second career or a second thing to focus on that isn't growing a business. And so that, for example, is a number for me that keeps my kids in a good school, pays for university, buys them their first cars, 
uh, you know, does all the kind of things we need to do. And I can still make some passive income doing other things, but yeah, so that's something I'm, I'm now actively working towards. And I feel that that's very, uh, you know, achievable. So the funny thing is like, I look at people I know who've got that. Uh, one of my friends is a guy called Mark Forrester. Do you know him? Uh, Eddie. Eddie. So Mark built yes. a very meaningful business called Woo Themes, uh, along with actually an old um, EO member. And yes. Um, yes, yeah. And then that business became WooCommerce, and then it was sold out to what's called Automatic and uh, for a huge amount of money. Now, if you speak to Mark now, it's amazing how content he is, and I can see why. So they sold it for an undisclosed amount, but let's assume there was about 100 million rand or so. This is Mark, and in South African standards, building a business, you know, selling it in a, in a few years, you know, maybe 10 years for 100 million rand, that's really meaningful. And Mark goes on holidays, but I mean, he goes away to, you know, an hour up the West Coast or, you know, he takes his family away and things and he does things. He's not particularly extravagant. But right now he can preserve with his income a very, very meaningful life and then get involved as a, almost a hobbyist in, in some investments and some things in that regard. However, if Mark said, well, I've now made this much money. Let me move out to Silicon Valley and see if I can do another tech startup. Making, doing a, you know, 10 million rand exit, $10 million exit in South Africa, uh, you're, you're a significant player. You've done really, really well. But doing a $10 million exit in Silicon Valley, well, you know, you're just, you're just a guy who's gone through his first round. So he would then be chasing the next horizon of the 100 million exit or becoming a unicorn in a billion dollar business. And I think that becomes problematic. So he realized, well, this is what I want to do. And he set his peg. And when he achieved his peg, he said, okay, now I can tap out and look for something else. And my admiration for him um, is just absolutely sky high because he put the peg in. He said, this is my measurement of success. If I've achieved this, you know, I can feel that I have nothing left to prove. Yeah. And for the most part, that's what a lot of us are striving for. We're still trying to prove something to people who actually don't care if we do or not. Yeah, I suppose it's so interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in my business now. I've had my son, Sebastian, eight months ago, and it's, it's almost thrown me back into the business harder, you know, than I was in before. And I'm driving really, really hard. But hearing you talk about it, it, it you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I have ever defined what my end state would be, what my, you know, how much I need. Um, I just have this urgency to to get more and build more and you know there's this kind of mental pressure to uh, you know kind of make the business succeed even more now because i have these um, you know these dependents relying on me and you sit sometimes exactly the same what you said like feeling sorry for yourself because you know in a in a sense i'm trapped you know because this business has been running for 12 years and it's supported me and my wife and and now my son and if it goes away, I suppose the, the question mark is, you know, what's there to, to support it or to support my family afterwards? Um, so it is an interesting thought to, to park down what success looks like for you. And I suppose looping all the way back around to our strategy discussion from the beginning of the, the podcast is, you know, what is your end state? Like, when, where are you heading to? And, and what are you personally doing in order to, to kind of get there? On a on a you know a short term and, and a longer term. 
what's instead of the what's the nice work victory condition what's the drake's family victory condition yes and that requires conversation and i do believe this is conversation we should be having you know we often talk about how we have all these tools in eo that we use for our businesses but we don't take them home and um you know we do we we have a lot of mechanisms for for planning together as a family but it makes sense for me at some point to sit down with you know Leanne and say hey what do we want our life to look like what are the requirements we need is it uh, one overseas trip by ourselves uh, one with sebastian you know as it gets older do we want another child what is the cost of schooling what kind of schools do we want and actually working out what does that amount look like and extrapolating that over your life and as i said like in that book by sam beck messenger she gives you the formula of, of how to calculate that and then you have a now i have a target like i have a meaningful reason so before i, I felt i was just kind of working chasing a horizon on a treadmill now I feel like I'm working towards a specific number that will give me financial freedom to decide to do different things in my life. And provided I don't increase my living standard, if I stay in my very comfortable, nice house, you know, driving the kind of cars we drive and, you know, I only keep to a minimum of two or three motorcycles at any given time. And, uh, you know, at that point... How many electric skateboards though, Richard? How many electric skateboards? Oh, too many. I can't say this out loud because jazz is definitely within earshot somewhere. <laughs> uh, but I'm bad. I've, I've actually even told myself I've got to tap out now. <laughs> <laughs> you all have different functions. <laughs> but yes, exactly that. And how many board games, right? So I've started dialing back on everything. I'm making better decisions because I realize I do not want to advance my life. I want to preserve my life. And as soon as you realize that that's what your goal is, a goal of preservation rather than advancement. So sorry, I don't want to advance my lifestyle. I want yes. to advance my life. So I want to uh, I want to advance the things that I do, not the things that I have. And as long as I add more stuff to the have list, I take away more time from the do list, yes. because uh, maintaining the have costs money, and uh, money costs time. Well, I think that's that's an amazing thought to to wrap this out on. Um, I suppose the we always end these things with a challenge and. I suppose, uh, you know, a challenge I'm going to throw out there and even going to do it to myself is, is to sort of define what success looks like for me. What is what is my end goal? Um, and to sit with, with Leanne and figure out what our end goal is and actually come up with some sort of a, a target, which I suppose you can use to keep you focused and, and driving when it's not necessarily as easy because you've got that end state that you're personally working towards. Right. Yeah, I think that sounds. Um, I think that sounds great. Now we'd love to issue that challenge to anybody listening, and let us know. Reach out and chat to us. You know, either on the onlines or you know, if you're in EO South Africa, for example, let's chat on the on the Facebook group. Okay, I, th I think that's great. I mean, uh, I like that you've shown your age by talking about on the internet. Um, you know, so you're definitely not in your twenties. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, thank you. Thank you very much, Rich. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, we really appreciate the, the feedback we've been getting and it, it makes it kind of all worth it. So, so thank you very much. And thanks to Jamie, as always. Uh, Jamie Keating for <laughs> being forced to fund this for us and, and to continue to support us from the EOGCC. And uh, yeah, good job, Boo Boo. Keep it up. <laughs> Rad. So you have been listening to Radio, a podcast by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, and it's produced by myself, Ross, and uh, Rich Mulholland. 
Um, and we are members of the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. If you'd like to find out more, you should go to the eonetwork.org and you can get all the information you need. If you've listened to this and it sparked a thought or made you think of anyone, we would love if you would pass it on to them because sharing this kind of information with people who need it is an amazing gift. And thank you very much. So shout out to our sponsors, uh, Bidvest McCarthy, Bidvest Carhire, Execcare, and 10 You are all the most phenomenal businesses in South Africa. Thank you for being here. Rich, I think it's time for you to take it home. All the best. Thanks very much, everybody. Keep reinventing, keep thinking, and stay curious. Peace out.